0: My name is Jeff Watson, and you are listening to the Inspired Minds podcast on the inaugural show, the champagne on the cracked against the bow of the ship, I suppose. It's going to be a fun show, I hope. Fun collection of stories, because what this is, it's going to be a series of interviews with creative types, mostly Hollywood folk movie types, movie types. Uh, We're looking uh, to to interview and I have interviewed and will continue to interview directors and producers and screenwriters and uh, musicians here and there and uh, artists of any stripe. Um, And I do it because I am one myself of varying degrees. And I know the The excitement and also the torture that comes with it, as well. (laughs) It's a crazy mind that many of us have. And I am fascinated by the process of creativity um, and how it can inform the soul and how it can inform uh, the creator itself. There's just so many wonderful things about it. Um, And that is this podcast. It's about uh, talking to creative types and it's kind of about the soul of artistry at at the end of the day and what the creative process looks like as well. Um, A little bit about me. I am a giant film nerd, huge film nerd. Best job I ever had in my life was at a video store back in the 1980s, which might as well have been in the 1920s at this point. Because nobody knows what a VHS is. I think I sold betas in the beginning. Come to think of it, uh, wonderful job. I was eighteen. I got to learn about uh, David Lynch and Peck and Pa and uh, Eisenstein, and um, got into film pretty heavily. I uh, ended up also. Then I was also a musician. I worked at a record store at the same time as the video store. The golden era um, of lost, <laughs> of lost art. At this point. So I loved it. It was fantastic. I ended up getting in the music industry for too long. It was a wonderful experience. Um, And now I'm a therapist. But again, I'm really focused on the creativity thing. Um, This podcast would not be possible without the lovely and talented Michael Lee Simpson, uh, executive producer, really good friend of mine, wonderful writer. Um, He's got accolades up and down. He won the Austin Film Festival and the World Fest Houston, like for two consecutive years, he was in the Academy Nickel Fellowship in screenwriting. Um, he's a contributing writer for Creative Screenwriting Magazine and Script and The Drill and just on and on. Uh, and I adore him to bits. And he is the gentleman who is helping me speak to these lovely people. So to kick this thing off, I have an interview that I did with a gentleman by the name of Jeremiah Chechek, And Jeremiah... Uh, Michael told me that uh, he was the director of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, the classic Chevy Chase, John Hughes vehicle. And I looked around, and then I realized something. So this gentleman was originally a fashion photographer for Vogue, then decided to, hey, back in the 80s, I'm going to make some commercials. So he made some Michelob beer commercials and did that for a while. Kubrick found him. Basically, in some article said, the guy that does those commercials, he's a total genius. So suddenly, Jeremiah's star ascends, and he gets this movie from John Hughes, and it becomes beautiful. And then he does Benny and June with a young Johnny Depp, which is an equally sweet movie. And then he made Diabolique, with Sharon Stone and a total film noir thing. And then he made The Avengers with Ray Fiennes that didn't do so well, apparently. But I don't really ask about a lot of those things. Because it turns out Jeremiah is also an absolutely staggeringly brilliant artist on a a high concept level art. Um, His his artwork, his photorealism is is just incredible. So it's mostly that, and it's, it's just kind of more of a conversational thing, as these podcasts will tend to go. And I think that is enough for me ranting and raving for our very first inaugural episode. Hopefully you have not tuned out. And if you have, then I won't know and neither will you. So with that being said, here is my absolutely fantastic interview with Mr. Jeremiah Chechik. Okay, everybody. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Jeremiah Chechik is here with us, as I just mentioned. And uh, welcome, Mr. Jeremiah.
1: Well, thank thank you for having me. Uh, uh, always a pleasure to be uh, appreciated in some form or another.
0: uh this is going to get, uh, I'm going to lay prostrate in front of you after this is over. Your work is brilliant. We, um, we were just discussing a second ago before we began this. And it, again, I cannot I cannot underscore, or I, I can, the <laughs> point is, it's extremely impressive. Your photorealism, um, there's a Hindenburg uh, um, piece that you had done just staggering, which I want to get to in a second. But I always like to start these things off with the following question. And there's always a story behind it. So, Jeremiah,
1: what was the first movie you saw and why? Um, I'm not sure I remember exactly what the very first movie was, but the first movie that really impressed me enough to kind of lie distant in my memory is going to see Dr. No uh, with my dad and being absolutely blown away by that. I'm sure right. I had seen some Disney, you know, Sorcerer's Apprentice and wh- whatever was, sure, w- you know, was popular in, in the Dark Ages when dinosaurs ruled the Earth. But <laughs> the first movie that made, made an impression on me was uh, James Bond, Connery. Yeah doctor yeah. no i yeah. that really blew me away and and maybe i don't know how much it it kind of quote influenced me as a filmmaker but it certainly um it it, it didn't uh create a condition of snobism when when it comes to filmmaking in terms of art and commerce that's for sure but uh i still have very fond memories of the movie even today no, what you. what
0: was it what was it about Doctor No that, that kind of sparked you a little bit?
1: I guess color, sex, macho, gizmos, action, <laughs> and the <laughs> cinematic kind of intercutting really was something that I had never seen or experienced. Certainly, I was not um, I was not aware of that kind of filmmaking. Uh, before that, you know, as a technique or as a story. So, I, I, I guess so. And I'm hearkening back. I don't remember. Maybe it was sixty-five. I don't know. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So you so you saw it. You liked it. How old were you again? Do you think? Well, I don't know. It's probably in my early teens. I want to say I was around thirteen, but I could even be younger. I, I don't really recall um any events of my earlier ages, including last year. <laughs> specifically yeah. specifically last year. <laughs> but, um, well, there you go. No, I understand.
0: Uh, and, and I think honestly, I think you I'm sure you know this too, is that uh visual memories and auditory memories are uh are don't last as long as sensory memories, right? That's right. So yes. right. So people may remember they won't remember specific details. Won't remember, you know, even if Sean Connery was in it or not. Not necessarily true, but they obviously will remember the feeling, right?
1: Well, I think we 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 will probably remember the smell of uh, fresh cooked popcorn and butter in a theater uh, probably more accurately than we would remember what we saw. But but yeah. uh, there you go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's. You know, and I want to kind of want to jump subject here because I am curious, especially to hear your opinion on this. So, um, so I go to a movie every weekend. It's been my thing uh, it's, since the theaters basically opened back up a bit, and I go to the theaters all the time, which is ritual, bad or good, don't care. Theaters are in my cathedrals, I said for decades, and I've noticed that there's nobody in the theater basically, and I think it is because of habits. People are just now in the habit of not going. And also them going, I have a giant screen at my house with free butter, free popcorn, no babysitter. And I guess, and you know, because things are obviously going day and date for release. What's the effect that it's going to have on theaters, do you think?
1: Oh, well, I think, I think everything now is, is complicated by, of course, paranoia about one's health. Tribalism yeah. generally mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. how we ascribe the political construct to yep. health and politics. Um, the the state of movies as they are now in terms of the cultural impact and how they've changed. Um, the experience of home theaters certainly um and i I think o- overall it really is uh for many a better experience seeing it at home with people not talking because the mm-hmm. audience who has grown up on kind of multitasking you know looking at their phones every five minutes uh yeah. you know what I mean uh, talking yeah. on the phones, going to a yeah. movie theater they they ascribe it certainly to a variation of seeing it in their own homes where they have that kind of freedom to do whatever the hell they want to do. Um, and and for me, you know, an old school movie aficionado or film aficionado where, like yourself, the theater is a cathedral. I really want good projection. Mm-hmm. I want to sit in the best seat. Uh, I want to kind of have the complete experience that the filmmaker intended. And I find often uh, that people are talking, people are looking at their phones, people are distracted, people are eating, people are opening crunchy things. And for me, that takes me out of it. Uh I have a very good projector at home. And you know what I mean? I'm able to watch films, I think... For the most part, uh and I have a very good sound system to um you know, to to kind of enable the film to have its full impact. Um but you know, I say that, but I you know, the first movie that I saw in two because 'cause I'm not as brave as you uh was <laughs> Dune. I saw it in the I Mighty some oh. location and Ooh. That was phenomenal. It was a great cinematic experience, yes. of which I couldn't really say that it would have equivalence seeing it no. at home. No. Whereas, you know, uh, watching a more contained film, a more kind of familiar dramatic piece, uh, would, for me, have have uh, almost not quite, but almost the same impact. Uh, theatrically or or at home. Now, I'm lucky because I do have a really good system and I I can dim the lights and I can lean forward and I can really uh, be comfortable and really experience the movie the way I think the filmmaker intended. But, you know, things are changing. I think that there um, there is a lack of, Risk-taking, uh, since the theaters themselves um, were became so dependent on the uh, corporate culture of these large uh, media companies um, or multinationals that own uh, media companies, and and so the kind of personalization of what you used to have in New Yorker films, October films, all these. Independent film financiers, which would basically um, create films based on the filmmakers, writers, or directors, rarely on actors back then. Um, and, and, and so storytellers were in the main, you know, kind of driver's seat there. And now brands are. And that's yep. not to say that there aren't wonderful experiences that one could take away from some of those films, Uh uh, but they're not all the same, even though uh, many of them kind of look and feel the same or structurally the same and certainly have the same effects company doing the same effects for each of them. Um, Some have deep characterizations and others have very superficial. I guess it depends how, how old you are when you want to experience that having come from films that are more, um, more on the novelization or storytelling with multi layers. Um, you know, when I kind of was first exposed to film, uh, in that way and grew up with the repertory cinema where you would go every, say, Friday night to see mm-hmm. what was screening, whether it was a Kubrick or, yep. you know what I mean, or an Ozu or, yeah. you know, yeah. I just name a filmmaker of that, of that ilk. And you would just go see whatever it was showing at that theater because the programmers there were in right. a way like, like cultural librarians. And, and I so, think new art. New art is a good example of that. Like, yeah, 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 and, uh, exactly. And, and so now you have, you know, you have the risk reward as being much more pivotal uh, for these larger companies. It costs so much money to to basically get a film to get any kind of cultural uh, stickiness. So people are even aware of it. There's so much choice now that the amount of money they have to spend, the kind of targeting uh, of of marketing um, has become full on the number one decision maker in how these movies and the studios get made. If they don't feel they can market it properly, um, they won't make it. I mean, unless you're a Spielberg or something, and even then, I, I note we're talking on the opening weekend of West Side Story, which I have not yeah. seen. Wow! But they had a lot of trouble at the box office. People did not run yeah. out and go see it, and and that. um, uh, uh, that, that's a real, you know, that 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 can be a real problem. Uh, but as storytelling has now moved to the, you know, to the streamers. Mm-hmm. who have created an audience expectation that is more in terms of, uh, you know, more like the novelization
2: mm-hmm.
1: of films. So, you know, you, you have these deep, wonderful, rich uh, stories that are Shakespearean in, in, in modalities like succession or uh, yeah. wonderful longer-term Marvel Pieces like Loki that are deep ah. and complex, even though they they kind of pull from from you know uh, what we would consider modern traditional Marvel mythmaking. Ah. Um, so there's a big there's a huge range um, in 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 filmmaking to streamers and television um, now that is and has been absent, and I think we're going to see a coming together of that as as the streamers kind of gravitate back to the two-hour or one and a half-hour um, kind of format, uh, as well as the twelve, ten, eight, six-hour formats, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I think theatrical films are, are probably, and I, I think we we predicted this maybe ten years ago, are just going to go into the realm of Broadway, where it'll be twenty-five dollars a ticket an amazing spectacle that you can't really get at home uh, with systems that are kind uh-huh. of just uh, amazingly kind of technically varied uh, and, 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 and I think that, that that will provide a different kind of experience and an expensive one. But, but again, you know, if you're, you're a family of four or if you're a millennial couple of two, just, you know, uh, trying to go to a movie at say twelve bucks a, a head, twenty five, and another, you know, fifteen for popcorn and another, yeah, you know, exactly. ten yeah. for 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 parking. And if you have yeah. a kid a kid, yeah. a baby yeah. kid yeah. You're talking about a hundred dollar investment. Yeah. And it better yeah. be good.
2: Yeah. It better be good. There's nothing worse
1: <laughs> than spending two hundred dollars on a Broadway show and going, Can we just well, leave?
0: I, I, I've actually done that, believe it or not, there. Um, so, funny you you say that. But let me ask this question. Or actually, can I tell you my 100% I am positive prediction on the future of the theater industry? Sure. Here we go. Record stores. They're going to turn into record stores. Because record stores yeah. are... Those, you know this, right? Dorky sure. guys like me go in there every, you know, crate dig or look at CDs or whatever. And that's now... It's its own thing. And it's very unique, and it's almost like like a record store at this point. Well, it's just a, almost an anomaly to a certain degree, and, and yeah. but, but it caters to a very specific audience, and that's how you can jack up the prices, which are kind of what you were saying. Not jack up, but you know they'll sell five hundred dollars Lou Reed record, original print. That's where the market's going, and that's where I think theaters are going. And it's interesting too because they are doing. I've seen this all the time now for advertisements on posters too. See it the way it was intended. See it the way it was intended. So obviously, they're like flailing with the marketing and going, "What are we going to do?"
1: Well, I, I know. I I I think you're right. The 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 real um, demographic issue is, you know, the 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 biggest demographic kind of chunk here are the millennials. I, not the millennials. The the boomers like boomers. Me. Yeah. Now, now you have a, a, an enormous population of boomers who are, up the on one hand, retiring with more time on their hands, but spending mm-hmm. less because they've got to kind of, you know, drill down on how long they're going to live for. Now it's anyone's guess. You know what I mean? So sure. there's that. yeah N- Number two, you have those very boomers who have seen, you know. A thousand or thousands of movies. So a movie trailer, they can smell a dog a mile away because they've been hoodwinked so many times. Or (laughs) please. So they can identify the marketing from what the expectation, intention, and result would be. Um, and, and so it's very different for a boomer to be excited about the next Bond movie. having seen like 50 of them, uh, (laughs) or a 14-year-old or 10-year-old, however I was when I saw my first Bond movie, it was the first, but putting that aside, there'll be a whole other uh, level of enjoyment. You know what I mean? If you're 13, 14, 18, 21, whatever it is, your experiences of the same medium, and, and that's probably true of of many different mediums will mm. be uh, in direct correlation with how much you've experienced that kind of, of work. Uh, mm-hmm. And so then you have the, you know, the millennials, Gen X, et cetera, Gen Y, who are, may not have a huge, you know, pocket of dough to go and spend big money on a theatrical, but they'll uh-huh. pay their, Phone bills or Netflix, you know, yeah. possibly Zulu Apples. You know. That's exactly and, right. And, and so, yeah, so, yeah so, so I think that the demographic shifts, the economic uh, imbalances, uh, all affect the commercial viability of films, uh, certainly in terms of international sales as well, because there are more people who are not as impressed just going to see the latest movie out of Hollywood, and we see this with growth in China, but their, their film industry about to exceed that of the United States. We know well, that in India, they have a very healthy film oh, yeah. community, In Nigeria, they have a very healthy film, so localized content becomes more important, and that's certainly um, celebrated yeah. by the Netflixes of the world, who are very, very invested in that as well,
0: so there you go. Wow, um, you know, I'm sorry. You're that was completely right. I agree with you a hundred percent. Also, I just had this vision of because you know now they're trying to upgrade theaters, and it is you know in every commercial these days or every uh, every uh, commercial basically So like you know THX or this and that. It's like all these upgrades, all these upgrades. You got the reclining chairs, and you got you play over in your dinner. This whole thing. I was like, is it going to be like? I, I don't know, like it's just super plush chairs. I'm envisioning like uh I don't know an umbrella and a guy with his Mai tie coming over like it's gonna have to be a big experience for anybody to get in that room i think I, I
1: think hope I'm wrong. i think where we're yeah no, I think where we're going is to you know places like Decentraland, uh you know um you know those kinds of environments and you know the the coinage of the metaverse.
2: Uh-huh, and yeah. we
1: will be able to see because there is something valuable, especially if you are young or getting out of your parents' house, going on a date, hanging with your friends, being scared shitless in a <laughs> horror movie, mm-hmm. sharing that vibe together. That That is what keeps that particular genre alive and kicking and healthy and well. But I think that as we start the, the kind of uh, – Sophomore version of the digitization of everything um, mm-hmm. experiences. We see this leading in music, where you will have you'll have you know Marshmallow doing his first concert in I think oh, I don't think there's Roblox, but one, one of those Fortnite, I think, uh-huh. where you have uh-huh. ten million people showing up to a DJ yeah. at a concert. 10 million, think about that. That's amazing. Oh, my God. So so one could share through avatars as they become more and more realistic or more crazy or more visual, you Mm -hmm. will be able to experience really large screen experiences in the metaverse that I think we have not yet seen, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's through goggles or different kinds of technologies. But I think we're going to be able to experience film in a commonplace, but it probably will be in the digital universe, as I see it. Anyway, that's my head. That, that that
0: makes perfect sense. Now, do you mind if I move on a little bit from this topic, although uh-huh. it's going to be woven through probably anyway in some narrative uh, way?
1: I'm here at your so- beck and call. I <laughs> love hearing that. Um,
0: so, okay, here's here's the question. So I've been, I cannot wait to hear this answer. So, and I've been thinking about this. So like about two days ago, this visual hit me. And I thought, okay, so this guy, Jeremiah, so one of two things happened. Either he woke up and saw, what the fuck did Stanley Kubrick say about me? Or friend that comes over to your house or calls you and says, did you fucking hear about Stanley Kubrick? What was that like? Well, you
1: know, that that's a, you know that that's just a for for me. It, it's I don't want to blow it out of proportion because it's okay. it was just something that happened to me, and not even directly. I, I was just you know yeah. I had uh, been um, a very successful commercial, uh, director uh, in New York, and um, I, I remember, you know, I was flying from L.A. to New York or vice versa and reading the New York Times, and he was promoting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a, a film. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket and yeah. uh, amazing film. And, and I was just reading an interview with him and, and they had asked him about filmmaking in the United yeah. States. What I saw thought? And he said, you know, he said, when I, I get, uh, you know, I, I get tapes because he was a big football fan. Um, Got tapes weekly. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> you know, he saw these commercials and he, uh-huh. pointed at them, and I guess that woke some people up uh, and they became aware of my um, uh, you know, commercials and uh, therefore huh? me and uh, before you know it, I was, you know I uh, had a deal in Hollywood to make a film, so you know I, it, it certainly wasn't as easy as that <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> no don't, don't get me wrong, wrong. it wasn't no, like, a, I'm not story. I'm not I'm
0: not saying he blocked you out of like some random place. It was the it was the fact that he called it visual poetry, which I really loved, because that I went back and watched it obviously because I was reading about you and I, and I was watching it. It was interesting too because I'm old enough to remember that
1: commercial. In fact, I think I do. <laughs> so I think you did a few of them. Well, I right? made a lo- you know I made a lot like I had done a lot of them for um, I, th- I think the. I, I forget the one that really caught fire. I think Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. Um,
0: oh, you did the Wait. Yes. I remember really yeah. that one.
1: It was like one, the- one, one of those. Hi. You know, I it's so long ago. I don't remember all the commercials I made. But oh, no. the, the, the point is, you know, uh, you speak to many different directors. They will all give you many different stories of how they got started, what huh? their opportunities were. Um, you know you try and take advantage of your opportunities to the extent I I did um, you know I was able to continue um, you know working uh, and yep. and um, you know it, it, it's all I've done is is try to you know um, access my creative impulse and whatever media um, presented itself to me that uh, piqued mm-hmm. my interest in that creative impulse I, I, I suspect is within everyone you know whether you nurture it or not but it, I think it exists to kind of combat the psychological warfare against entropy which begins the day we're born and so it's true you know, so for, for me the, the 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 constant sort of Damocles of of yeah. entropy uh, dying uh, you God. Know, being you know worthless whatever it is I think Of course you know, Henry Henry Miller had quoted Salinas yes. at one point, like shouting out to the universe, which was the only reason that he wrote, just to say, "I'm here, I'm here," uh, really? as much to oneself as anyone else. But but I do think that um, just just fighting against the, I guess, the depressing elements of of or the negative elements of our You know, both immediate society, our cultural environment, our political environment, our climate, everything that exists when we're in a creative flow that that vanishes and we tap into a whole different expansion that is probably closer to the way the universe uh, looks and feels way out there. Uh, And Hopefully we'll know within six months if there's any new information from the web telescope that is on its oh, yeah, way right. to the sun. That's right. And so, so you know, like, um, you know, for me, you know, filmmaking, uh, which is, you know, wrestling many hundreds of people uh, into a certain kind of path, direction, uh, is, right. is one way. You know, uh, fine art sure. is, is another way where you don't have people over your shoulder. You don't have to wrangle. You just have to work on instinct neo um, neorealistic work rather than or as opposed to abstract work are things that, you know, that uh, interest me, making the real seem unreal and making the unreal seem real are, are things that that speak to me because it's in that kind of center of the vector, I guess, that I live, which is, <laughs> yeah. you know, you i think that hesitancy of really committing to is this a dream or a reality what what is true experience am i projecting or am i truly experiencing those are kind of dynamic questions that people have been asking themselves throughout history i believe um yeah. and the artist has always been there to have some kind of expression even thirty forty thousand years ago we we still see signs of fantastic uh, expression, um, even predating Cro-Magnon. So, um, you know, I I just feel this is where I fit into the human continuum for better or worse. Uh, I've never expected anything other than a good creative life. And to the extent that I've had some success um, has just been, uh, I, I think, part of just good fortune, good luck, uh, accident of birth, uh, genetics, um, and being born at a historical moment where I didn't have to go to war, I didn't starve, I didn't get enslaved, I didn't get diseased, at least so far. <laughs> so, so um, you know, th- those are all, all things that I appreciate and I don't take for granted and, and I try to understand it and I, I try to be uh, inclusive about the experiences that I have. So that's really me in a nutshell. It's awesome. That's great. And, you know, honestly, what you just kind of explained was,
0: um, so, uh, I'm a therapist. Um, I was in the music business for extremely too long. Um, so then I'm like, wait a minute, this is, I need to do something different. So I, I had a couple of experiences that were kind of wild. that uh, I I got some help and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So as a therapist, I am really interested in storytelling. Um, and what? Because I have, mean, I went through a lot of trauma um, about eight years ago. Something, something horrible happened, and I got through it through storytelling. And I didn't know that I did, but um, uh, I would just talk and talk and talk it out. And then I started noticing that there was a beginning and a middle and an end to it. Um, so I was able to start to codify my life stories. Right. So I was codified that particular event. Now I'm codifying other ones. Codifying other ones. Codifying other ones. And so what I'm and then my whole thing is, and this is I think getting to your point maybe. My thing is let's say I have ten stories, right? And they don't have to be about anything, beginning in a middle and an end. But if I extract a meaning from that story, which I can usually do by saying, like, why do I remember the story? <laughs> that's kind of the meaning, perhaps. Then sure. but right. So then I have let's say I have ten stories with ten meanings. If so I can find a narrative line through the through the meaning, that's kind of it. I think. I don't know yet. But my point is, it's a storytelling. It's the oral tradition that I'm super bummed is gone because with oral traditions, obviously, there's an inflection and there's a tone and there's a pace. And um, and storytelling is really usually done in collective cultures, but it's certainly not just rugged individual nonsense here. Now, it's not necessarily true, actually, because we too actually have, of course, films and television and art, et cetera. But the oral thing, um, I just think lacks, and that's what I'm trying to do is connect my my clients through storytelling to find. You know, it's
1: interesting you say. It's interesting you say that. And, and up to a few years ago, I, I think I would have agreed that the kind of collective collective experience of storytelling is on the wane. But with the explosion uh, of podcasts. Yeah. Um, There is a resurgence, maybe not all in the same room, but certainly in the same um, cultural room. um, Storytelling, both, you know, both kind of fiction and nonfiction, uh, has enjoyed a resurgence the likes of which I haven't seen or experienced in my lifetime. Because, you know, the advent of radio was my father's um, Ah. lifetime. You know what I mean? Yep. Television yeah. was new, you know, not super new. But my grandfather, you know, they sat around the radio and listened to Fireside yep. Chats. And yeah. Experienced yeah. all of that and music and all the rest of it. And nowadays you have podcasts and interviews like yours and, and uh, you know, stories and fiction and, and sort of even the kind of quasi-fictionalization of real events. Uh, That are alive and well. And also, you know, up to maybe the pandemic, you you had, you know, uh, the moth and you you had kind of live experiences, this American life, that kind of thing, where they would they would have, you know, live shows where they would talk and they would be packed theaters. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Garrison Um, Keeler, Car
0: Talk.
2: Yeah.
1: All of that I mean we did we did a uh, television show several years ago called the Middleman, really one of my favorite things that I've ever done, and it ran for a year season and and uh you know maybe a couple of years later, Havigrijo Markswatch, who's the writer, uh, had written a final episode, which of course we didn't film because it was years later, but he got the entire cast together and rented a theater. And kind of we did a little promotion for it. And it was packed, packed in wow. the Raptors to listen to a reading of an unshot, uh, you know, piece um, yeah. of of the show. And it was so yeah. exciting and so great. Oh. And sharing that was, was terrific. Um, and, yeah. and so I do think that that commonality of, of shared storytelling is important. also just in the whole nature of. Why stories are important to us? They, they, you know what I mean. They they help us navigate uh, mm-hmm. our own lives because they <laughs> they allow us a tendril uh, to yeah. feel that we are not alone here. That that, is, that, yeah. that we're in a community of people.
0: That's exactly right. You know, and but it's it's interesting because I didn't think about the podcast thing. It's kind of <laughs> No kidding. That's kind of a good point. But also, though, I'm not. It's interesting you brought this up again, because what I'm really talking about, though, or like the average Joe who doesn't think they're a storyteller.
1: That guy. OK, that is a well, guy that. Yeah, I,
2: but
1: you see, I, I, I may disagree with you. Um, OK. You know, I, like, I think the average Joe may not think of themselves as a storyteller. But, but if are. you ever like. Yeah, they are. And they go, you yeah. Know, you, yeah they hang out yeah. Oh, that's some kind of way outside the realm bar. <laughs> no, and somebody no, goes, no, oh, no, no.
2: Hey, yeah, last week I was, <laughs> pink, let me tell you about.
0: The pink elephant. The pink elephant, the pink elephant with Bruskowski drink in L.A. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Not that, well, not they, that. No. You know, they,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm saying the opposite. <laughs> I'm saying the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Because you're right.
1: I do I do think that, that storytelling is a natural function. We tell it to our right. I mean, what is the first thing we do to our kids, we tell them stories, whether they're fairy tales or read sure. books or, or or basically moral tales, however, yeah. you know, um, yes, so yeah. kind of create an, an environment for them. And, uh-huh. you know, they'll go, is that true? Is that real? <laughs> right? Yeah. You could say yes, no, maybe. Um yeah. But yes, and storytelling doesn't necessarily have to be in words. Some people yeah. uses different techniques of storytelling. Sometimes they're in a single image. Um, yeah. Sometimes they're point. in a painting. Sometimes that story really um, lurks within. I mean, you look at a Rothko painting, and there mm-hmm. is a real story there, dark as it may yeah. be, uh, that yeah. really puts you in a feeling. Um of the psychology of the artist and 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 how you relate to it really is going, I've had that feeling too. I understand that feeling so and and just having that shared moment with someone who's long dead, who just expressed something with paint on a canvas uh if they're effective and they're not all effective, but if they are effective, then I think there is the 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 feeling of that kind of. Um, maybe reduces our fears and our, um, our, 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 our sense of, of loneliness, you know, you, you're born alone, you die alone, that, that, because I think that the human condition, um, despite our biology is, is to, you know, be a, a tribe, you know, uh, for good or bad. Um, and, and that's how we've survived. And the more we individuate, uh, the worse our lives become.
2: Yeah, the
1: harder, harder they become. That's that's
0: a much better phrase. Yeah. And and yeah. you know, you're you're so right about this. But I I'll, I'll tell you this one last thing about the storytelling too that it's it's really been fun to use this on uh clients or just people in general sometimes. I'll just say give me three stories about X and they're like what? I don't have any stories. What like, yeah, do you do? <laughs> right? Like just figure something out. It's always like I went to the grocery store, sweetheart, just now, and something happened, and there was an end to that story. Just do that. I don't say that exactly to them, obviously, but just do that, and then we'll talk, and then they'll do it, and I'll say, "Congratulations, you're a storyteller." And their eyes tend to like light up. They're like, "What?" Because nobody's ever told that to them before in their life, most likely. And it's so much—it's so elevating to be able to watch that response, both in them and I get it out of it too, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, how many times have you spoken with a relative who would go, hey, I got a great idea for a TV show?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I <I've> don't <that.
1: laughs> It's like, yeah, I, everyone has a great idea for a TV show because everybody <laughs> watches TV. Everyone has a great idea for like what's a good, uh, a, a, you know, a good clothing line because they all wear clothes. So, but the difference is you got to actually make it. That's the hard part.
0: That's the hard part,
2: right? Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, you know, that's I don't
0: know. Now I just have these amazing visions popping into my head of uh, this uh, this whole business. But I did kind of want to just mention also too um, that that there's such a great sweetness I want to talk to you about with Benny and June and and uh, and vacation, Christmas vacation you did. And it, yeah. that's the thing I loved about those two movies. Um, I remember Benny and June when it came out. I was like, "Who is this Charlie Depp guy?" And I loved that movie. And he did the amazing Chaplin thing. Um, and it was just there's such warmth to it. Which again, I don't remember the movie too much. But interestingly enough, like we were talking about at the beginning of this, I have a sense memory of it. Like right now, like I'm actually getting lighter thinking about it. So, where obviously that
1: was within you that sweetness. I would imagine. Yeah, Correct. I know. I, you know, I like to think of myself as kind of a sweet person, you know, a sweet, positive person with, a, you know, a shadow that I try to keep under control. So, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, that, that's it. As I get older, it becomes maybe a little easier um, to do that. Uh, but, but um, you know, I, I, I think that it, it's also you know, I made Benny in June and I, then I made, I think I made Diabolique right after that, which is much different, much darker and much more cynical, if you will, um, Um. about, you know, the human condition and, you know, um, women in pain and all of that stuff. So, so I don't, you know, um, you know, I, I see dramaturgy as kind of, both sides of the kind of classic mask of happy, sad, Mm -hmm. smile, Mm -hmm. frown, you Mm -hmm. know, they're all just part of life. And and I, you know, again, try to do, they're working on a television series right now. And it's a real mix of, of, of tragedy and comedy, uh, emotion and drama and, and, and all in, in a single show. So even though it is, a comedy, it has a lot of kind of really uh, darker um, colors as well. And because I think that that also helps, you know, one appreciate the lighter side and the lighter side helps you kind of put into perspective the darker side as well. And, and I think that's really um, part of our human condition um, and it enables us to kind of navigate the mm-hmm. tragedies and, and confidences and, and good luck that we encounter in our lives. And mm-hmm. So having perspective is is important, and it, you know that's something that's harder to get when you're very young because you're accumulating your experiences. You know, as you get older, you just you you have so many experiences, you can start to apply some generalization to it. You know, and start to sure. get smart about where you're at, and then COVID happened, <laughs> and then, <you> know, <laughs> the whole of what the yeah. hell's happening? Uh, yeah. Again. So, um, and that also is part of the great unknown. You know what I mean? If you you know you look at history, uh, whether it's going back to the, you know, to to. I don't know, Phoenicians or the, you know, the Bronze Age. I mean, those guys were huh? wiped out by climate and disease and all kinds of things happen oh, yeah. really fast after, I don't know, a thousand years or more uh, of a civilization. Um, so these things do happen. There's no guarantees sure. on anything. Um, no. You know, we, we try and keep ourselves together with our relationships. That, exactly. that is a great
0: focus. I have you know, been saying this is a pandemic of disconnection now. And... and
1: that's true. I see it all- yeah. Yeah. Or, the, or the appreciation of same. In other words, maybe people now won't take that for granted. Well, you and know, it's funny so... you bring this up.
0: I here's what I here's what I've been doing lately. So about a year ago, I noticed that all these Starbucks kids and uh, people, you know, as it's some way, they're getting screamed at. You know, you're not wearing a You get your mask off. Mask, mask, mask. Now they have to be a fucking virologist. Also, they would to be a security guard, and they're 17 years old and working for 5 bucks an hour pretty much, right? So I sure. realized that, and I want these poor kids, these poor kids, because I go to Starbucks every day. Same thing. They know me because basically I'm an addict at this point. So they all know me, and I always ask them. I always said, like, how did they, or how'd yesterday go? Like somebody threw a mask. Somebody threw a uh, a cup at them, right? So I made this little psychic shift, and I thought to myself, fuck this. I'm going to make someone laugh behind the counter. Every time I can give it a shot, I'm going to do it. And I'm a pretty engaging guy and I can throw a line out pretty quickly um, off the cuff, but just intentionally make them smile. And honestly, man, I hit about 90% of these days because I know how to do it pretty well. I can read a room real well, maybe 80, <laughs> let that get far in advance, but I I do it. And inevitably 80, percent of the time they connect with me. I connect with them. Right. And sometimes it's a 30 second thing. Sometimes uh, it's, you know, they'll go over and then they'll make the drink and I'll walk over and they'll talk about it a little more. And I'll say things like, and I mean this because you can size people up pretty well these days. At least I can. If you're a nice person, I can see you a billion miles away. So I tell them nice knows nice. Right. And I'm like, yeah. And then I said, well, I always say this too. I said, we should be in a nice club. And like Yeah, that's great. And that alone is my form of resistance. This is like victory garden shit that I think I'm doing, right? Tiny little things, but I'm trying to reconnect people so they don't go home. And, at least they may go home and say there was one guy that was kind of cool, right?
1: Yeah, um, I think people would be amazed at just what a smile will do to diffuse anger. Yes, yes. Just to lean in on that um and there's so much anger now and and you know i think justifiably i might add on every <laughs> level uh-huh. <laughs> um, and 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 so you know learning how to deal with that you know uh kind of the the e- expansion of that kind of i guess uh, frustration anger um feeling of insignificance really is probably the root cause of it. Invisibility, all of that kind of thing, hopelessness, uh, or perceived hopelessness, those all all contribute. So you're going to have someone who doesn't have a a way of expressing themselves, except through a heightened emotional um, kind of explosion. And you know, if you're gifted, and you are a comedian, You can channel that rage and negativity into laughter. Um, But if you are, um, you know, if you are all midbrain, then then you're just going to lash out in in a way that is very destructive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is also a pandemic of the cortex when you think about it. Right, because yeah, you know sure. the big midbrain, you know that, right? Fight, fight or free shit. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah, you gotta go over to the cortex yeah. and rationalize whatever. It's like we scooped yeah. out our. Like somebody scooped out. Our, no, it's like we let somebody scoop out our brains. We have those.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're we're living in a very complicated culture right now, and we're in an interregnum now period that is neither fish nor foul So we're at a a very. Um, one could say a pivot point, a transition, uh, whether you can say that's been happening since 9-11 or, uh, since the dawn of the digital age or even kind of, uh, the kind of growth sure. of crypto, crypto, um, those are kind of little, uh, kind of markers, if you will, of a transition to a very, very different kind of world. And, and, and I think so many of, of us, uh, you know, of the nine or 10 billion people that are about to kind of land here on earth in various ages, are don't have a point of reference that um, allows them to feel connected or balanced, um, you know, in their mm-hmm. lives. Uh, and that that's very understandable because everything is changing so fast. And on one level, it's incredibly exciting because we are experiencing living history. I mean, we can see oh, yeah. the movement of history, but, oh, yeah. you know, just out our windows. Whereas, you know, if you're, in, you know, born 1320, you know, you pretty well know that nothing's changing the next <laughs> hundred years or the
2: past
0: oh, hundred
1: years. A, there's another sheep there's and another, uh, there's another goat. You know, maybe a little more Black Death or less. Know, but there, was, there, there was not a hell of a lot of change. Sure. You know what I mean? Whether you're sure. sort of an urban person close to the court, castle, whatever, or uh-huh. a peasant just eking out um some kind of grain or crop uh of which you had to give half to your kind of, you know, master. But, 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 I think the level and rate of change is so powerful now that our our brains have a very difficult time processing it. And, and it's yeah. why I, I've taken refuge in, you know, in art and creativity and storytelling and filmmaking, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, uh, just as a way of uh, maintaining balance and having an identity that, um, at least I can project out into the world. Uh, that's reasonably comfortable for me. There. Sure. Well, uh, I don't. W- I want to be
0: respectful of your time. So I'm going to ask you uh, for all the money. Final, final, big question. Uh, here we go. All right. Uh, mm-hmm. And by the way, I stole this from a. <laughs> episode yeah, sold. this from a movie about oh a movie called Pollock about <laughs> Jackson Pollock, obviously. But there's a line in that movie that I'm not going to ask you, and I'll ask it to every artist that I know. When do you know you're done?
1: Oh well, you're you're never done. (laughs) You're just never done. You just move on to another thing and leave well enough alone. I think you could fiddle and do it because you know artists are enamored with process. I would say. Yeah. It's process. Uh, that that captures the soul of, you know, the kind of energy, the flow, the dynamic, the you know that feeling of catching a wave, skiing powder, uh, you know, uh, th- that moment is so existentially connected sure. that you don't re you you give you give it up and you stop when people take it away from you. Deadlines are good. <laughs> um and then you get on to something else uh so is something ever finished ever perfect ever correct ever right who knows i mean who can be the judge of it i you know i i certainly feel that if i leave something i don't ever think it's finished i feel i'm finished with it it oh
0: that we're How now we're that actually i want to name drop for a second but i'm not kidding That actually beat neil young's answer so congrats, congratulations
2: congratulations
0: <laughs> his was by the way well i'm not competing by the way obviously but his was great too his just was when it. his was literally when i'm done <laughs> like okay yeah i get it yeah. but i've had also yeah. like i've had guys you know women who were saying things like you know when the when the cat or when the check clears you know like another guy said something like um when i'm done hating it which i thought was interesting because there's no wrong answer clearly to this thing. And it only influences me because yeah. I could, you know what I mean? I get to talk like yeah. guys like you yeah. and ask that question. It's great. So, uh, God, I could talk to you forever. Um, but I, thank you so much for doing this, Mr. Uh, Jeremiah Jackson. Right. I've been honestly, it's been a really fun one for me. I don't know about you. Well, I,
1: <laughs> uh, Yeah, no, it's fine. I, you know, I I don't know, I have a clue what I said, but, uh, you know, <laughs> We'll okay, get the transcription. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it you, know, uh, you know, <laughs> just stream of consciousness for me. Yeah, I kind of figured that out.
0: Um, again, wonderful to talk to you. Uh, and I guess we're just going to hang up. And I think the whole podcast is anything you want to plug.
1: You know, uh, you know, my work is my work. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> check into with the site. There's a lot of work that's not up there.
0: Um, well, Chechik.com, you know, dot com, ladies and gentlemen, it's a masterpiece. A lot of them, actually. That, that,
1: that's a place to start. There's other things too. Uh, my, you know, my Instagram is always uh, kind of fresh oh, yeah. with the kind of ideas that I'm working on now. Uh, Instagram is Jeremiah underscore and, there you and uh, sometimes I get very active on Twitter, and I'm at Tin Roof there. I oh. will um, so be, be following you both right now. That's amazing. There you go. Um,
0: by the oh, way, mine is okay. a picture of uh, Triumph, my Twitter picture is a uh, picture of Triumph, the insult comic dog. So that'll oh, be Oh, no, there
1: you go. If I follow you. Yeah.
0: Oh, and by the yeah, way. The, whatever uh, happened, I,
1: if he got into drugs, he got into drugs. He was I used to work.
0: Like it. I, I did. I'll <laughs> tell you one thing. I should, So I used to work at the uh, music business and Warner Brothers and et cetera. And so there was one record. I worked on a lot of great records, Neil Young, Tom Petty, and blah, blah. But my secret record. You know, John, was the, you
1: know John. You know John Bugwell. Then
0: I know the name, and I actually spoke with him because I know he lost his wife at nine eleven. So yeah, uh, yes. yes. yeah. So I actually spoke with him after because I lost my wife, quite frankly, in a pretty sudden, uh, yes. sudden way. So John was wonderful. Uh-huh. John, I didn't know the guy because he came in like right after I left. Oh no, no, other way around. But uh, yeah, I called John. And, yeah.
1: uh just an he would be guy. an interesting guy to speak to, by the way. Really interesting. Really, he's a great guy. Yeah, of, uh, oh, has a minute. lot of stories.
0: You're totally right. You just opened up the door for me because I know I know a lot oh, of managers, man. huh? I didn't think about that. No, Buch but you've anyway. a different
1: and unique perspective, and you've got got a lot of commonality in terms oh, of uh, who is running uh, Warner Music, Gary.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, this is, mm-hmm. but at any rate, my favorite record was the Try and Be Insult Comic Dog Come Poop With Me, Come Poop with me record, which I actually worked in marketing. There you go. Mm-hmm. But I, I've i only dorked out on two music guys because uh, I always kept it cool. Didn't matter who it was. You know, Stevie Nicks, uh, Rick Fleetwood, whatever. I'm cool. Neil Young, I dorked out on, of course, and that's a whole other thing later. But um, uh, so I met, uh, uh, what is his name? The guy that does Triumph. Um, the, the guy that does Triumph. Uh what is his name blanking um, blanking yes sorry uh yes i know you know what i'm talking about um so anyway so i, I walked up to him and I, and I dorked out again it was like instinctive and i was like oh my god like your stuff for snl your writing is brilliant and this and that and he literally starts to walk backwards me. <laughs> <was like>,
1: sorry <laughs> Oh, boy. Anyway. Anyway, uh, it's um, been you. very enjoyable. And, thank and you. Thank you very much. And, and good luck with it. I hope it doesn't lose any uh, listeners for you. <laughs> it probably will.
0: Not you, but me. Um, probably. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, and I'll, we'll, I'll send you some information later. Thank you so much.
1: Very good. You're welcome. Bye bye. Take care.